So I remember the first time that I worked with a coach. I just didn't buy into coaching. I didn't know enough about it. This idea of somebody who full-time is a coach felt very weird to me. And so I wouldn't prepare for the sessions. I would cross my arms. And at the end of every session, I would say, damn it, how did you do that? How did you get into my head like Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Jedi mind trick? Together, not only did she just understand me and get me, um, we, we became very good friends, are still close friends to this day. I still count her as one of the coaches in my life. I've also coached her, so now it's reciprocal. And here I am on a podcast with a fellow coach devoting my life to something that I thought was malarkey or certainly up there with a Jedi mind trick when I first began this. Hi, Meg. I'm Tina Robinson. Hi, Tina. I'm Meg Buzzy. And welcome to Massively Useful Thing. Today, we're going to talk about probably one of our favorite massively useful things, which is a coach. A coach! Having a coach. And what is a coach? So you've heard us talk about ourselves and who we are and the fact that we are both coaches, but we haven't explicitly talked about the benefits of having a coach and how useful it could be. And how really good coaches have coaches in their lives. I I suggest that to people as a metric for the kind of coach they should bring into their lives is make sure your coach has coaches. Oh, yeah, your coach should always have a coach. And in fact, similar to when you go to school to become a therapist or a psychologist, you always have to have somebody that you're working with as well, who's a really specifically giving you guidance and mentorship in that particular area. Mm -hmm. So Meg, how do you define coaching? Or how do you define a coach? Well, first, I'll just put a, a little unpaid plug in here for the coaching school that you and I attended, which is Harvard, <laughs> which was um, the Coactive Training Institute or the Coaches Training Institute, which is in Northern California. And was really the pioneer of creating a professional curriculum for coaches. And you might ask, well, what's the difference? Life coach, career coach, business coach, technical coach, sports athletic coach, executive coach, coach, leadership coach. There's so many. And really, our particular school of thought has a foundational principle that we coach the whole person. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if the way we get in or the way we establish a relationship with a client, whether it's through their profession, whether it's through a relationship and we're, we're coaching the couple, whether it's just their overall life they're looking at, we're always looking at the whole person. And that as a coach, we look at the person we're coaching as creative, resourceful, and whole. Right. So there's never anything broken about the people that we work with. And that's an important perspective for a good coach to take because our job is not to fix people or their lives or even solve their problems. It's really to create the circumstances or to help create the circumstances for that person to be the best version of themselves. 
That's a really good distinction because I'm often asked, well, what is the difference between a coach and a therapist? And a therapist is somebody who's trained, very intentionally trained to look backwards into somebody's life to diagnose and to address a problem. So there's something wrong with you. So therapy tends to start with there is some there's a gap or a pathology or there is a pathology that there's something that needs to be fixed. Coaches are very intentionally trained to look forward at what is the biggest, brightest, boldest version of yourself that you want to be? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to take your whole self and everything that represents who you are, including your past? What direction do you want to take that in? And how do you want to do that? And what does that look like to you? And this could be kind of a radical concept. But from our background, from our training and background, I remember one of the mentor coaches saying to us, yeah, you, you could spend the rest of your life excavating your childhood, your teenage years, your early 20s, and more power to you. But as a coach, what I want to do is give people tools that they can use immediately to make lasting and effective change in their lives. And I'll just, I'll own it. You know, I was a big fan and uh, user of traditional therapeutic modalities and talk therapy all through my 20s. And at some point, I was really done talking about what has happened and was more interested in, well, what would I like to happen? More interested in creating that future path for myself than dwelling on how I got to where I was now. And recognizing that the past is the past and you can't change it. You can learn from it, yes, but there's a point at which you decide, I've learned what I needed to learn from this and now I want to take it forward. So if I go back to the definition that's in the coactive textbook, which is, again, one of these sort of bedrock texts that even the International Coaches Federation uses. Um, a coach is someone who cares that people create what they say they want and that they follow through when they choose. And that's from Karen Kimsey House, who is one of the pioneers of the professional coaching industry. Well, I think it points to this necessity of a coach to be somewhat neutral mm. and to also be a person committed to the best interests of the client. And that's not to say your spouse wouldn't, you know, want everything for you. But the spouse is going to have a very personal perspective on your growth. And so in this way, I think it's good for coaches to be slightly independent, you want them to have some distance. Because one of the important things about them is for them to be able to tell the truth and mirror to you what they see happening in your life. So you're paying a coach for their acumen, for their ability to notice, for their depth of listening. And their ability to lift you out of your own head. And because they're giving you this quality of attention and they're directing it right at you. So they're able to notice things and say things to you that you might not be able to hear or notice either on your own or from people in your inner circle. A really good coach doesn't want to make you dependent on him or her. A really good coach wants there to be an endpoint and wants you to start to develop your own self-coaching ability. And you will need different coaches at different stages of your life because you are 
an ever-evolving, growing, transforming creature. And different coaches are going to support that transformation and evolution and growth at different times in your life. There are coaches I would welcome back into my life, and there are coaches that had a time and place that I wouldn't want in my life as a coach right now. You know, it makes me think about this vision that I had of myself one time when I was in a coaching session, and I was being coached, and I suddenly realized that so much of what coaches do, or, or maybe even what I do, kind of reminds me of Mary Poppins, in the sense that like sometimes coaches drift in, you know, maybe they're assigned to you by your manager. Maybe you go searching for the right coach. Or they fly in on an or umbrella. Or they fly in on this beautiful umbrella that has a parrot head that talks to you when you're lonely. Of, well, doesn't your umbrella have a parrot head that talks to you? Not currently. Okay. But, you know, it's LA, so I'm not, I, my umbrella game is weak. That's true, because we are in a drought. Okay. We're in a, yeah, we're in fire season. Um, anyway, but the... The Mary Poppins thing, I always thought, well, you know what's interesting is that you come in, you assess the situation, and you wake people up to what they need. You wake people up to their real desires. You wake people up to what's around them, and you give them gratitude for what's already there. You show to them their best selves. Which is really what Mary Poppins did in the movie. And I'm going to go a little bit old school here and think about the Julie Andrews for Mary sure. Poppins. 1000%. Okay. Nothing Julie ag- Andrews all the way. This is a Gen X podcast. No apology necessary. Nothing against Emily Blunt, who I love, but come on. Come on. Come on. And she ended up coaching the entire family. She coached the whole neighborhood. She, she coached, coached the neighborhood. She coached every chimney sweep in that in the city of London. Right. I mean, who does that anymore? Even the even the old lady with the birds, I think, got some coaching from her. Uh, you know, she was like, "Hey, this lady's out here feeding the birds tuppence a bag. That's her jam. She's living her truth. She's living her best self. Yeah. Who are we to say that she shouldn't be feeding the pigeons?" Right. Exactly. And that. She left when she was no longer needed. And even though it's hard to say goodbye to a coach, you do not want to become dependent on a coach. Ultimately, you are your own best coach. And when the wind changes, Poppins flies away. And that's because you're already set up to succeed. You've already gotten the sort of like, you know, she gets your stuff in gear. Like she teaches you how to just snap your fingers and it, you know, cleans up your bed, makes your bed. You know, isn't that how you make your bed? I do. We're in the process of moving now, so I wish I'm going to try going home after this just recording snap. and just, just snap, snap at the boxes and see what happens if the boxes magically pack themselves. Or you can just take um, like a bag of sugar, granulated sugar, and eat it. And if you just pour it into your mouth, like <laughs> all, because <laughs> that makes everything easier to go down. Just a spoonful uh, of least, sugar okay. in my gullet makes everything go down. So the reality is, is that. For some things, Mary Poppins is not a great analogy, but for coaching, she and, might I add, Nanny McPhee, who is, you know, the next generation. Uh, Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. When, you know, when you don't, it's like, (laughs) hold on, I'm going to mess it up for a second. When you need me, but don't want me, I'll be here. When you want me, but don't need me, I I must leave. Ah. When you want me, but don't need me, I must leave. That sounds like it should be a Celine Dion song, but... (laughs) So I wonder if in our theme of role-playing, 
to make this massively useful thing real and practical and pragmatic. Because we use coaching in most of our episodes, I wonder if we could ask each other questions about how we choose a coach. Like, Mm, what are some sample questions that we ask potential coaches? Because there are a lot of them out there. We recognize that. And there is there are a lot of differences that separate these coaches. And the right coach is out there for you. We have clients that we love working with. We have people who reach out to us and don't choose us. And so maybe we ask some questions or we give examples of how we discern the right coach for us. I'll also say that our ecosystem of coaches, at least the ones I know, and I think the ones you know as well, um, recognize that the match is so important. Yeah. And when we come across a prospective client who maybe isn't a match for us or vice versa, we're usually really good about referring you out into our ecosystem of other Mm -hmm. coaches who might have different areas of concentration or different backgrounds. So for example, one of the things I ask coaches that I'm looking at are, you know, what's your academic background? Or what have you done before? What industries have you worked in? Because sometimes it helps For example, when I meet with a coach that has a software background, we have shared language around what that process is like and what that industry is like. And that helps me establish a closer connection with that coach. That's a great perspective. The other side of that is you may not want somebody who comes from your space. Absolutely. You may not want somebody who will bring his or her own biases, observations, personal feelings about a space that you both share. So yes, and to that of having a coach who comes from your space, which you and I have both had somebody who comes from the venture capital tech space. And yet we both had a coach who does not. Yeah. And so I think then we would drill down the question to say, ask your coach about their background. Is that important to you or not? How does it relate to your own background? And what pieces of that might be relevant for you? That's a great question. It doesn't have to be the same. Instead, how does it relate? A question I ask that we brought up earlier is, who are your coaches? What coaches do you have in your life? And how do you engage with them? So this more gets to asking your prospective coach, how do they stay relevant? Mm -hmm. How do they educate themselves? How do they stay keen or, you know, exercise their own practice? You could ask a coach, what is your preferred approach to coaching? And that, uh, that approach can include things like, is this face-to-face if you're in the same location? Is it via phone? How often do you prefer to meet? Um, and get a sense of how flexible this coach is going to be, how enmeshed in his or her own dogma is this coach. Ooh, and I have a yes and there. Good. Because I think it's also important to have a conversation with the coach about how that coach is going to hold you accountable. So on the one hand, you want them to be flexible. On the other hand, I know for me, I want my coaches to hold the line for me. Because I'm a slippery little thing sometimes. You are slippery. And I will try to get out of, what do you mean I'm slippery? In a very delightfully guppy kind of way. (laughs) I'm a guppy? 
Well, slippery as in, oh, I can't make it. Can we push it to Thursday? I'm not saying you do that with me. But to do that with a coach, you want a coach that says, we meet every, we agreed, we designed an alliance that we meet every other Wednesday at two o'clock. And when I try to slip out of it, I really want my coach to say, whoa, 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 we agreed on this. If you want to move forward, this is a commitment you need to make. I like that. Barring any personal emergencies. Right, right. Um, Yeah, a good coach, I think, also knows where they're strong and where they're less strong. So, like, I also am sensing this question around, um, can the coach characterize not just their approach, but where they're really good? Sort of a, a... Who is your ideal client? What is your what are qualities of your ideal client? Yeah, that's really good. If I had to answer that, I would answer I want people who are ready to do the work. They don't have to be fully there, but I want them to be vulnerable enough to go inward and courageous enough to do something with that insight. Um, I would also say that a, a good coach is able to sort of very quickly identify what's what's strong or what's the best in you. Mm. So like that would maybe get to a question around, hey, prospective coach, how do you assess where your clients are when you begin? And how do you measure progress? And that might get into what tools do you have in your toolbox, especially if you're in a work situation and you're thinking about bringing this coach in to your work environment. Are there assessments that that this coach is fluent in? Perhaps in your organization, you all just went through StrengthsFinder, or you use Myers-Briggs, or you use DISC. Is there a shared language that you would like to build on? Ideally, you want a coach who can say yes and to that, rather than go, oh, really? Ooh, I don't use StrengthsFinder. I use blah, blah, blah. And I think that's stupid. So is this a coach who will meet you where you are and then move forward together? So how about one more thing? A coaching engagement that maybe didn't go as this person wanted it to go. How self-aware is this coach? How much does he or she own it? And how much does the coach recognize that it is a shared accountability? Because if you have a client who doesn't want to put in the work, and doesn't want to make oh, behavior change. You mean like a client who crosses her arms at the beginning of every single coaching? Yes. If you have a really <laughs> obnoxious redhead with a passion for Star Trek who's going to be on the other line or the other end of that phone, stubborn, how does this coach deal with that? We're friends now. It worked. She waved her magic wand. And you uncrossed your arms. I uncrossed my arms. And then... Drank the Kool-Aid, as they say. That was our massively useful thing on a coach. Not coaching, but why a coach can be a massively useful thing to bring into your life. The voice of reason, the Mary Poppins, the shoulder to lean on. The flashlight to guide you around the dark corners. Somebody who can ask powerful questions that get you out of your your comfort zone, but could also share some wisdom and guidance that maybe help you navigate whatever is next in your path. So grab your umbrellas 
And notice which way the wind is blowing. (laughs) And recognize that a spoonful of sugar makes everything go down, including really good cocktails. I'm Tina Robinson. And I'm Meg Buzzy. And this has been a massively useful thing. Why does does a spoonful of sugar make everything go down? I don't know, because why did she even have cough syrup that tasted like rum punch? Raw, 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 creative. Thank you.